You're listening to the eFree Lethbridge Podcast. Those of you who have been uh, here for a while and heard me tell stories about my life know that I am not great with heights. In fact, I'm terrified of them. And you might remember the story of me trying to get onto the glass floor of the CN Tower and having to hold my wife both hands, her walking backwards, staring me right in the eyes as I slowly shuffled onto the glass floor because I was, I knew it would hold me up, but I didn't believe that it would hold me up. You know, that cognitive dissonance that was there. And I did get onto the glass floor and it was okay until I saw a flashing light on the side of the tower that gave me perspective on how high I was and then I had to get right off. And kids were jumping on it. I feel like I need a little barrier around the edge of the platform this morning just to keep me from falling off right now, but I'm okay. And then, and then we were walking away from the tower and I looked up and I saw people in the distance doing this, off the edge of the tower. And, and, and that's scary enough. It looks like you got lots of space on the platform, but if you go kind of get back and a little bit more distance, you see that that platform is scary, narrow, and I wonder why people would do that besides that they're psychopaths, right? That's the only reasonable explanation. What gives them this kind of confidence? And the reality is that they trust completely in their anchor and their harness. They trust completely in their anchor and their harness to save them if they slip off the edge or if for some reason their body just throws them over the edge that they will be safe. As we enter into Lent, it can be scary. It can feel like we're losing our bearings. It can feel like we're standing on the edge of something that is scary and frightening and maybe a little bit a cause of anxiety. And this Psalm reminds us that as we enter into the season of Lent, we have an anchor and a harness that we can completely trust in. In the story of Lent, the first chapter of that story is a story of ash and dust. We didn't commemorate, but in the Christian calendar, this past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. And the whole point of the Ash Wednesday service is a reminder that we were made from dust. In fact, that's sort of the refrain that goes through the service. Remember, you are dust. And it acknowledges that we live in a world of dust and ash. We see this in our psalm, in Psalm 103, verse 14. For we, he knows how we are made. He remembers that we are dust. He remembers we are dust. He's referring back, the psalmist is referring back to the story of creation. We find it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where it says this. The Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. And, and the, the, the kind of essence of the story is that, that God took what was disordered and ordered it. He took what was disorganized and brought organization to it. He brought order out of chaos, and he even ordered the dust to create humans. And then we continue to read in the story of Scripture that when humans sinned, when they rebelled against God, that dust became disordered. We read it in the curse, in the, the, the description of the effects of sin in Genesis chapter 3, that the serpent who deceived the man and the woman would now grovel in the dust. He would, the, I think literally it says he would eat dust for all the days of his life. 
and the making of more humans, procreation, the, the, the birth of more humans would now become painful. Dust was now causing pain. And the ground, the dirt, the dust would rebel against humans and their efforts to bring fruitfulness and, and to feed themselves and would now produce thorns in rebellion against the human efforts. And eventually, the dust would reclaim humans. God says, for you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. We live in a world of dust and ash. And Lent calls us to remember this and to lean into this reality, to lean over the edge and recognize the reality of the world that we live in. To recognize and name the dusty and scorched places in our lives, in our souls, in our relationships, in our community, in our world. Not as a lack of faith, but as an act of faith. In fact, what Lent calls us to, first of all, is to lament. And lament is, is naming all of those things that are broken, all of those things that are not as they should be. Lament feels risky. It maybe even feels a bit unsafe. Lament can feel like a lack of faith, a lack of trust, because it seems impolite and maybe even sinful to complain about life, to question God about what's happening in our world and in our relationships, and maybe even to hold God responsible, to blame God for our state of dust and ash. Those of you who know the biblical story know that the Israelites were punished, they were disciplined for grumbling and complaining against God. And it begs the question, aren't we doing the same thing when we lament? When we name and grieve and complain about the things that are broken and all the things that are not right in our world and in our lives, aren't we grumbling as well? And as I've entered into this journey of lament over the past number of years and learned more about it, I think there's a distinction between grumbling, which is complaining about God, sort of like gossip, and lament, which is complaining to God. That's the key difference. You see, in lament, we turn towards God with our complaint. We name what is broken, we name what is dusty and, and scorched, but we recognize we do it in the presence of God. We do it to his face. We hold him responsible, maybe even blame him for what's happening in our world, but we turn towards him when we do so. We don't talk about him behind our hands. It might be surprising but God wants us to bring our lament and our complaints to him. In fact, half of the book of worship for the Old Testament is lament, complaint, speaking what is broken in our world. And in Psalm 51, we find that the sacrifice that God desires is a broken spirit. What the psalmist is claiming is that when we take the dust and the ash that we're covered in, that we're carrying in our world, and we bring it to God, he accepts that, doesn't just tolerate it, but he accepts it as worship. Our lament is worship. Lament, then, is not a lack of faith, it is an act of of faith. It names what is not as it should be in our world, which is a faithful practice because it acknowledges there is a way that things should be in our world. 
There is an intended order. There is an intended goodness. There is an intended design. And to claim that in the midst of brokenness and dust and ash is an act of faith. We trust that God sees and cares about what is broken. That he doesn't just know that we are dust and live in a world of dust and ash, but we trust, we have faith that he cares that we are broken and live in a world of dust and ash. That it matters to him. That takes faith. And this psalm then reminds us that we have an anchor, we have a harness that allows us to lean into the reality of dust and ash in our world without getting lost in the dust and the ash. I'm not a rock climber, because rock climbing and a fear of heights don't go really well together. Also, I'm not very good at it. I've done it a couple of times, and I remember one belayer, I know the terms, but I'm still not very good, said as I was climbing up the rock face, why doesn't he use his legs? Because I'm not good at rock climbing. I don't know what I'm doing. But I do know one thing. The rule of thumb in climbing is to have three points of contact. That's the safest way to climb. Move one limb at a time. Keep three others anchored to the face of the rock. There's some exceptions, but this is generally true. That's the best way. And this psalm gives us three anchor points as we lean into lament, as we climb into lament. And the first anchor point is this. God is in control. God is king. We see this in verse 19 of our psalm. It says this, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. If you were here at nine o'clock last week in our nine o'clock service, you would have heard Abe share how this truth is a struggle for him. He knows this in in. in theory, that God is in control. He believes this in his heart, but the world and circumstances around us don't always seem to speak of this reality, does it? Doesn't always seem like God is in control. How can God be in control when there's atrocities of war in Ukraine? How can God be in control when cancer is ravaging a loved one? How can God be in control in the chaos in our world? And this psalm reminds us that we live in a world of dust and ash and God is still king. You see, in lament, we hold both those truths together. We don't deny one for the sake of the other. Both are true. We live in brokenness and pain and sorrow and disappointment and God is still king. And because he is king, because we by faith are convinced that God is king, it gives us hope that the devastation of the disordered dust will not have the last word in the story. Because of the life and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, we know that this this story isn't over. This reality won't always continue to be our reality. God has the ability to bring beauty out of dust and ashes. He has the ability to bring order out of chaos. He has the ability to bring joy out of sorrow. 
See, when Jesus died on the cross for us, he reversed the curse of sin that we read about in Genesis chapter three, that we will be reclaimed by dust, that our world will become increasingly disordered. Now, because of Jesus, yes, our bodies may be reclaimed by dust, but someday they will be reordered and we will rise again. And if we have faith in Jesus, we will rise to everlasting life, to eternal life with him. See, by faith, when we say that God is in control, we acknowledge that the restoration, reconciliation, and recreation that began with Jesus will not be fully experienced until Jesus comes back, but we know by faith that it will be experienced. We will be part of that. Lament, then, is an act of faith. Things are not yet as they should be, but one day, God will make all things new. And he will put an end to all of the brokenness and sadness in our world and undo all of its effects. The first anchor that we can be confident of as we lean into lament is that God is king. The second anchor is that God loves you. This is woven all throughout the psalm and throughout the Bible and throughout history. But we see it kind of explicitly in verse 17 and 18. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. I love how the Common English Bible translates this. It says, the Lord's faithful love is from forever ago to forever from now, from everlasting to everlasting. His love is steadfast. His love is faithful. It's unchanging. It reaches across generations and ages, and the intensity of his love is never diminished. We see in the kind of climax of Romans chapter 8, Paul expressing this great confident love of God in, in this verse, verse 38, and I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. And if he was using our metaphor today, he would say not even dust and ash can separate you from God's love. The full expression of God's love for you is seen in Jesus. Jesus, who, who became dust, took on flesh, entered our world of dust. As we sang about, he came to a cradle in the dirt to defeat, not just to experience what we go through, although partly that, but to defeat the power of sin and death and do the work of recreation and redemption in our world. Lament is an act of faith, trusting that because God hears us and sees us, sees us, our experience of dust and ash matters to him. What we're going through matters to God. It matters so much that he sent his son into this world to redeem it, to recreate it, to, bring, to reorder it from the effects of sin and death. God is king God loves you. And the third anchor is this, God is good. God is good. 
Again, it's woven all throughout the psalm and all throughout the Bible and all throughout history, but we see it maybe more, most explicitly starting in verse six. The Lord works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. There's the acknowledgement of his love for you. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him, for he knows how we are made. He remembers that we are dust. You'll see echoes of these phrases all throughout scripture. We find them first in Exodus 34, where we find the story of the children of Israel who have just come out of Egypt, and Moses has gone up Mount Sinai to meet with God. He's gone for 40 days. There's that 40-day motif again that we're kind of observing throughout Lent. And the children of Israel are growing impatient. They don't know what's happened to Moses as he goes to confirm this covenant, this relationship that, that God has with his people. And so they start to worry and start to grow restless. And in order to kind of keep them centered and focused, they create for themselves a golden calf that they give credit to for bringing them out of Egypt. This is a grave, grave sin a serious sin, the commentators compare it to a spouse cheating on their spouse on their wedding day. That's how serious the sin is. And Moses comes down the mountain and discovers what the children of Israel have done, have, have done and he's grieved in his spirit and everybody knows that they deserve to be punished. And they wait to see how God is going to react. And the days go by and the tension builds. You can feel it in the passages as you read through it as Moses intercedes on behalf of the people and has conversations with God, essentially asking him, what are you going to do now? And everybody knows they deserve to be wiped out. And then finally, God speaks. And these are the words that he says. Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. Can you imagine how you would feel after days of waiting, knowing that you have committed one of the most grievous sins, serious sins that you could ever commit, and you're wondering how God is going to respond to you, and this is what he says. I am merciful and compassionate. I'm a God who forgives. You expect him to meet you with words of anger and judgment, and he comes with words of grace and mercy. He is good. And these words are so transformative to the children of Israel that, that they become something that they repeat over and over again in their prophecies, in their songs of worship, in their prayers, all throughout scripture. You'll find these words just like we find them here in Psalm 103, celebrating the fact that God is good. 
Even though we live in a world of dust and ash and feel the pain and effects of sin, God is good. Even when we contribute to the pain and brokenness in our world and bring more dust and ash into our world, God is good. He is good. And proclaiming that is is an act of faith. Lament is an act of faith. Believing that despite all the dust and the ash and the pain in our world, God is good, not just in the abstract, but particularly God is good to you. These three anchors give us confidence as we lean into Lent and lean into lament. We can acknowledge the reality. We can feel the reality that we live in a world of dust and ash and brokenness and lament. We can lament this. We can give voice to it. We can name the brokenness and the hurt and the pain in our world, recognizing that things are not as they should be because we are convinced that God is still king and that God still loves you and that God is still good. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, by faith, we acknowledge these things today that you are in control, you are king. Even in all of the chaos and the pain and the brokenness and the sadness and grief in our world, you are king. And you are at work reordering creation, remaking creation, making all things new. We hold on to the fact that you love us. You love the whole world and you love us particularly, individually. Our pain and our brokenness matter so much to you that that you came as a a human being. You were born in in a cradle in the dirt, took on flesh, took on our dust, walked our broken world and became broken for us. We're convinced by faith that you're good. Even when things are not good in our world and in our lives, We can hold on to the fact that you are good, that you are a God of compassion and faithfulness, a God who will keep his promises, a God who is still at work. And so we hold on to these things as we enter into our season of Lent, starting out by naming all the broken things in our lives, in our world, and offering them to you in worship. Because you want us to come with all of our brokenness and all of our joy, all of our pain, all of our sorrow, all our celebrations, you want us to bring them all to you in worship because you love us and because you are good. Amen. Thanks for listening to the E-Free Lethbridge Podcast. We'll see you next week.